Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 68. While many of the big names in golf might be taking the week off to get ready for the Masters, you know that we never take the week off here at the back of the range. Great guests, great stories. That is what we do here each and every week. So thank you again for tuning in. If this is your first time at the back of the range, welcome. If you heard about this podcast from a friend, go ahead and pay it forward. Tell one of your friends. And as always, if you like what you hear, leave a review in Apple Podcast or shoot us a DM on social media or send us an email. Let us know what you think of the podcast. As you all know, the Augusta National Women's Amateur is getting started this week. It should be an absolutely incredible event. Yu Sang Ho and Haley Moore from the national champion Arizona Wildcats are there. Sierra Brooks and Alexa Pano from my home state of Florida are there. So many great young ladies participating in the inaugural championship. You know what? We're going to send Mojo to each and every one of you. Enjoy the experience and know that the entire golf world will be watching. So this past week, I spent some time hanging out with a couple of the men's programs down here in South Florida. I was at Florida Atlantic University's home tournament at Osprey Point Golf Course in Boca Raton. For you diehard listeners out there, you'll remember that my college coach was David Pizzino down at St. Thomas University in Miami. Well, he's been leading UConn for over 10 years now. I saw Ryan Jamison. He was the assistant coach at Stanford, but now he is leading the program at Florida Atlantic. So FAU finished second. That's their highest finish in their own event in school history. Both of these coaches were guests in season one. So you might want to pop back into our previous episodes to listen to those. Really great stories. A lot of fun seeing them and their teams. And if you have a men's or women's college program in your area, go watch a college tournament in person. You'll be absolutely blown away. Just a little bit of housekeeping to tend to before we get to this week's guest. So let's take care of it quickly. You know, we're all over Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All of our episodes are available now on YouTube. We have the new trucker hats, towels, koozies, all sorts of stuff. Everything you want to know about this podcast, just go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. And all of these links are available in the show notes of this episode. So keeping with our college golf theme, our guest this week has been at the helm of the Illinois men's golf team for nearly 20 years. In that time, he has guided the Illini to Big Ten championship titles in nine of the last 10 seasons. He's coached two NCAA individual champions. This week's guest, head coach Mike Small. He's not just doing great things as a coach, he's also an incredible player in his own right. He's played in over a dozen majors. He's won 12 Illinois PGA section championships, four-time Illinois Open champion, and he went back-to-back at the PGA Professional National Championship. We talked about his philosophy on building a championship program, the importance of their new state-of-the-art practice facility to recruiting players to Champaign, Illinois, and the running joke that if you want to go to Belgium, you got to check with Coach Small first. So let's get started. Coach Small, thanks so much for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to catch up and talk some golf. Absolutely. Well, before we get into just a little bit about your coaching career, your playing career, um, you know, we're we're recording this end of March. We're getting ready to head into championship season for your team. Um, Your Big Ten championship is at Philly Cricket. How is the team ramping up? What are some of the things that you do to get your team ready in this final push? 
Well, that's 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 the where everything happens at the end of the year. You know, college golf's a fun a fun run. It's a fun season in the fall and the spring. But uh, we always talk about the t- the tournaments that people remember are, are the conference championships and the NCAA runs. So um, that's what we put uh, try to build our, our momentum for and try to um, you know get our games to a level and to a standard that um, that we can hit while we're at that postseason championship type of run. Um, we don't want to have the mentality that we want to peak come then. Um, I think that's kind of a scary, a scary uh, tactic that some teams use. If we, if, if they say if we can just peak come the NCAA's or the conference championship, we can have a chance to win. And I'm a big believer that we need to get good enough right now and get our standards solid enough to where we can just hit our hit our normal grade and um, and be able to compete and win. Sure. And I think that's that's something we aspire to do. I, I think if you try to time it. And you try to time the uh, time peaking. Um, that's kind of fragile. Kind of want to have that that steady uh, steady abilities all year long. Now you're mentioning standards. Kind of going to go back a little bit here. We're going to jump around a little bit, but you know, you're you played obviously for Illinois. <laughs> I guess Illinois is pretty much embedded in all facets of your family. Your dad was basketball player, you know, Big Ten champion. Your brother, Big Ten champion in Illinois in baseball. What was your competitive culture in your family? Starting whether it's any athletics or specifically golf, what was the, the sports culture like in your family? Yeah, I think it, it was, uh, it was very uh, pervasive. It was very solid and we, it was, it was in everything we did. We were a very athletic family. Um, obviously my dad had a career and, uh, a successful athletic career. And I think it was just something that we were born with the competitiveness, a, a love for sports, a love to compete. And, we played all the sports when we were younger, my brother and I, and um, we settled on golf when I was a teenager, but uh, up until that point in time, played all the sports, and obviously he settled on baseball, and um, um, it was just, uh, it was something that we enjoyed. We enjoyed watching it on TV, and we enjoyed playing it and being a fan of it and competing, and I think that's why I gravitated towards coaching um, after my PJ Tours career and been playing professionally um, full-time, um, kind of wore down is something that I wanted to stay in sports. I think that was settled around from when I was very young or probably before I was even born. Well, and you, you took the job in, in June of 2000 and, you know, I find it really interesting. You know, there's so many different, you know, I've spoken to college players and, and, and quite a few college coaches where, you know, they, they try and jump on as an assistant in places and they really, really work themselves up the ladder to get that head coaching job. And you were approached to take over the job at Illinois and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had no experience in, in coaching whatsoever. Is that right? No, I, I, I had not. No, you're exactly right. I had never coached, um, played college golf here. We were on some good teams. Steve yeah. Stricker and I were here with teammates together. And we, we kind of were the, um, were the golden era there up until, you know, last few years of, of, of Illinois golf. And we had some success and, and, um, the previous coach who I owe a lot to Ed Beard, who I played for, yeah. um, always thought in the back of his mind that I'd make a good coach. Um, just for maybe the way I lived my life and the way I trained and pursued um, goals and, and how I was part of the team for, for four years here. And then I went and, and uh, decided to play professional golf and played all over the world and eventually earned my PGA Tour card and, and played out there. And then when I lost my PGA Tour card, um, him and the, uh, the current AD at the time, Ron Gunther, thought that, um, that I'd be a good a fix, a fit if I wanted to come back and coach. And at the you know, we talked about it lightly for a few years there, but I was playing, I was playing on the PGA tour. Why would I want to go coach somewhere? And then, um, you know, you're playing golf at the highest level and then all of a sudden I lost my card. And then that, 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 the, the conversations continued and strengthened and, 
it got to a point where it made a lot of sense with my family, my kids at the age they were to come back and, and get out of playing and, and, and try to build something special here in Illinois. And, and, and I was lucky enough to, to go through the recruit, the, the, the interview process and obviously get the job. And, um, it's been one heck of a run for us oh, here. I, I bet. And, and you didn't, I don't think you even had an assistant, did you, when you started? I mean, what were, you just had to do the entire thing yourself. What, I guess, separate of knowing the game and being able to communicate your experiences to your, your players, what, what were some of the things that you really struggled with when you first started learning this job and all the other facets of, of what it means to, to build a college golf program? Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's something Ron Gunther, uh, the AD, saw and he believed in. He believed if you had people that knew the sport and knew how to uh, and, and knew how, how to win, you could learn to coach. You can learn all the rules and you can learn all the, the bureaucratic stuff within the university and you can you can learn that. Um, and I appreciated that. So obviously, I you know I had played golf, um, you know, for 10, 12 years professionally, and 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 that's what the kids want to come play for. They want to come play for somebody that that knows where they've been and how they're getting there and, 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 and how to help them get to get to their dreams. And when I got here, probably the best thing in a roundabout way that Ron Gunther did for me was he did not give me an assistant coach. I was the last coach in the big 10 to uh, have a full-time assistant coach. Yeah. Um, primarily cause we were, you know, we, we were building something here, but um, it, you know, it just took time. And in a roundabout way at the time, I didn't think it was so great having to do all that work myself <laughs> and learn the job inside out. But if you look back at it, it's probably the best thing that happened to me because I had to learn all the facets of it. And when I finally got my first assistant in Dave Pizzino, um, you know, I had done it all. And, and, um, I, I, I had, I had, you know, I'd done the travel, I'd done the recruiting, I did the, the fundraising, I did the facility development. I did the, obviously the, uh, you know, the technique and the coaching growing as a coach, not just a player. Um, you know, you do all the, you know, I did all the equipment, I did all the, uh, everything, every aspect um, of the program. And, and I, I needed to do that because I never coached before. I was never an assistant and learned it from the ground up. So I think that was a blessing in disguise. And it's amazing how um, you look back and think how I did all that with two kids under the age of six and, oh, man. and uh, you know, trying to try to be a father and, and still playing, you know, I've, I've played since I've still been coaching. I, and, and it's been a big part of, of my own personal career. And also I think the team's development and growth over the years is that, they have a coach that still plays and competes and com- you know, I played in, in several majors and, uh, you know, 30 or 40 PGA tour events and, and a lot of national club pros. And, um, I think that's helped my coaching. It's helped my playing and it's helped, helped us form a niche that, um, is different than other golf programs in the country. And at that time, when you're trying to build something in the North that a big 10 program for golf, you needed something that was different. You needed something that was separated yourself from other programs. And I think that, that ability to play and that ability to have success. And, you know, I think I've played in 10 majors since I've been coaching here. So that's something that is different and kids gravitate towards that. And it's almost, it's almost an icebreaker where you can recruit from. And then once kids see your vision, hear your passion, hear your excitement for what we want to do, and then how you want to include them in the process. um, And then, you know, help them in their future. I think that's what's helped grow this thing. So I think it's, it's the last 19 years have been a culmination of, a lot of hard work, a lot of um, a lot of great people around me. I mean, the support of the university and our alumni and our our staff here has been phenomenal. But to have the drive and desire to compete and still be able to play and differentiate ourselves has been a huge part of it. Oh yeah, well, you know, and I I want to ask you a couple of questions about recruiting specifically. But before we get to that, I you know I 
I kind of wanted to let the listeners know that, you know, you mentioned your first assistant, Dave Pizzino. Well, that was way back in our season one. That was uh, an episode we have. I actually played for Coach Pizzino when he was down at St. Thomas University. How did you pick an assistant? I understand maybe looking at scores that high school or junior or high school players are shooting, you can kind of see who you want to recruit to play on the team. But how do you recruit an assistant coach? You've had numerous ones since then. I, I believe Zach Barlow is your, is your assistant right now or one of them. How do you identify a good assistant coach? Well, there's a lot of great assistant coaches out there, but I think how you identify the one you want is no different than in recruiting. And, and in any organization, you, you're, you're, you're recruiting a person that fits the needs you have at that time. And um, Dave was my first assistant coach. I never had anybody work underneath me. I'd never been a, um, a supervisor of anybody before. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was new to me, too. Now, we had, yeah. we had been to a few national championships, and we'd been runner-up, I think, in the Big Ten three times prior to that. And we were in the process of building something and laying the groundwork. But on the recruiting trail, I had been getting tag-teamed by a lot of the, the two coaches from other programs all over the country, and it was, it was hard. It was difficult. But, um, you know, Ron Gunther, the AD, who I mentioned, tied the position in with the opening of our facility because, uh, you know, he could substantiate it, I think, in the department as, you know, assistant coach for golf, also kind of mans and um, You need more bandwidth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just, and just, just, just help, you know, supervise the facility. And so at the time, uh, a lot of great, a lot of great applicants, but Dave had been a coach, a head coach, um, and had been in the business for a while. So I didn't have the time to train somebody and um, I wanted to get, get on their feet running full speed, you know, full steam ahead right then and there. And, and, um, he had a desire and had a really excitement and an energy to, to come here and be that. And, um, and that was, that was why I chose Dave and it was a perfect fit because he had been through the recruiting battles and he coached on the men's and women's side and he'd been in different universities. And, and so he had some experience and, and our assistants since then have all been hired for different reasons and, and the different stages in our program that fit that. And, and, uh, but that was Dave's, that was Dave's calling. And, um, obviously he was here for a couple of years, two, three years and got the head job at university of Connecticut, which is, which is awesome for him. He's doing a great job. And, um, you know, the rest is history. With recruiting, um, you know, it was funny. I, I noticed that you've stayed pretty much, uh, you know, continental U.S. for quite a long time. And then you, you venture out of the United States and your first international recruit, guy named Thomas Peters from Belgium, who ends up playing in the Ryder Cup. I mean, are you that good or did a little bit of luck get involved with that? <laughs> it's all luck. It's oh. all luck. I just, <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. I, mean, uh, I know, you, I know you're great, but let's, let's, how does that happen? Uh, well, it's amazing. I've been here. I said this 19th season. I've had five international players, but I've been lucky. My first international player, like you said, was Thomas Peters, who was a NCAA champion yeah. for us his sophomore year. And he didn't have a great record. If you ask Thomas, his record wasn't great coming out of high school and coming into college. He had never really sustained a lot of great you know, low scores, but he was fundamentally just the prototypical modern player and big and strong and tall. And, and he needed to be coached on how to play and how to have discipline and how to have good habits, not only, you know, in, in both his life and both his uh, golf. And he comes from a great family, but coming to the U S and having to defend for himself was a great learning experience for him. And then when you, you learn how to play the game of golf from a, a professional standpoint, uh, somebody that's played a lot, it was a perfect recipe for him. And then Thomas Dietrich follows from Belgium and Thomas Dietrich's on the European tour with several top fives and top tens. And, you know, he was a multiple all American as well here. Um, I've had only five, but they've all been really good. <laughs> and I think people think that people think that, um, you know, you've had a lot cause they, they see the name, but it, it, that they just been very prominent players. And I'd like to think that, um, you know, 
that the combination of their talent and their desire and their determination of all of my international players, along with the structure and the optimism and the culture here, um, has helped them improve. And that's what I'd like to like to continue to recruit on, and that's want people to come here. I mean, international players are more of the norm now than ever before. But you still have to get the right people, the right kids, and the. But um, my experience with international players has been unbelievable. They've been great kids, great families, great students. Um, they're respectful. They're appreciative of the opportunity. All five of my recruits, and I have one coming in next year who's phenomenal as well. I am I am sold on them. They're awesome, yeah. um, um, and they fit in good with our our domestic players. And that's why it's been a good, a good situation. Well, you got two kids on your team, you know, Adrian and, and Giovanni that are from Belgium. Also, I mean, can any other program in the U S even go to Belgium now, or do you just pretty much, you have, you have Belgium all locked up, don't you? Well, that's, that's the joke. I mean, that's the, that's the, oh, word shit. Over here I thought I was being, you know. I thought I was being original there, but I didn't realize there was already a joke. I mean, I mean, are there just waffles on your training table or is that just too on, on the nose? Well, it's a joke coming from the other coaches because oh, yeah, okay. we've been very, very fortunate with the Belgian players, but when Thomas Peters and Thomas Dietrich come over here and they become top 10 players in the oh, country yeah. over here and, and, and our team's gone to what, six elite eights and four final fours, um, with those guys, you know, being part of the program and then they go back to Europe and have the success they have on the European tour. I think that just you know, these kids want to be a part of that. And I know Adrian Dumont de Chastard, who's a freshman on our team now, who just won an event last weekend, uh, his first event as a, in college as a freshman. Um, you know, he has respect for those guys. And the, and, and, and the Belgium community, the Belgium golf community is very close and they're very supportive of each other. And when one of them has success or two of them have success, I think they all want to follow. You know, it's it's pretty easy to see how you would want to recruit a, a player like Thomas Peters, just this, you know, big, long, lanky bomber. But then I guess what I'm asking is, or what I want to lead into is, Dylan Meyer looks like the complete antithesis of what the, the modern golf build should look like. And how do you identify talent in a player like Dylan Meyer well, you're exactly right, and 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 if you you know those two are probably I would say you put those two next to each other, here. yeah. But 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 yeah, but those two are the most talented, natural, talented ability players I've had. Um, um, they're 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 just genuinely good golfers, great players, um, and win winners. And they look totally different, but I don't think you should be skewed by appearance. I've never been skewed by appearance. I don't care what somebody looks like or how they talk or, sure. or, or what they do. If they can play golf, they can play golf. And yeah, if you put them next to each other, yeah, you got ones that, like you said, the prototypical six, five longest hitter in the world, um, beautiful golf swing, unbelievable athlete. And then you got Dylan Meyer, who's, you know, five, nine, you know, 130 pounds, big black rim glasses. But you know what? Inside, he's just as tough as Thomas Peters sure. when they compete. And, and and to be a good player, you have to be selfish to an extent. And, um, you know, they want to compete and have good careers. And uh, when I saw Dylan play, obviously he could control the flight of his golf ball. He could control um, the distance it went. His short game needed improvement, just like Thomas Peters' short game needed improvement and the scoring ability needed to grow. But the, but the intangibles that you can teach, the sound of the ball coming off the club, even though Thomas Peters was more direct and and explosive uh dylan myers was as consistent as everybody i've ever seen um and his rhythm and tempo and his just impact position was flawless at his age so there's a whole aspect of the game as a coach in college you don't have to worry about he had a good teacher in, in evansville named mike wolf that did a great job growing him and and dylan's talent and and um so when you find players that are really, really, really good in one aspect of the game, that's that's a huge thing because they got to be able to fall back on that. 
it's almost better to find somebody who's really, really good in one part of the game and not good in some others than it is to find somebody that's just kind of average or, you know, in all of them, because, um, one of them, you know, is going to be there and then you can actually grow with that and, and, and work with that, you know, the, the, the areas they need help on. I want to ask you also about, uh, you know, one of the aspects you're recruiting, you know, the, the average temperature in Champaign, Illinois is about 50 degrees during the month of March. Um, you have to have amazing facilities to get, you know, kids to come to a, a university where weather is kind of going to be an issue and you, you build this great outdoor facility to match up with your indoor facility. Have you ever constructed a, a golf practice facility before, in your life, like how is that process? The Loritz and Wohler's facility. How did that start, and what were kind of the the planning procedures to make something that's, I guess, comparable to what you see at Augusta National at the Masters? Yeah, no, I never had done that before, but I was excited <laughs> to do it. I bet. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an all inclusive training facility. It's not a, really a range. It's not a golf course, but it's a hybrid of both, and right. it's something that you can be so. It's a fluid environment. You can hit any shot you want to hit in golf in this 24 acres to any pin to any really elevation, um, not significant elevation, but ups and downs. And, you know, you can get any wind, any distance, any pin placement, any chip, any bump and run, any fly, anything you want to emulate, you can, you can manufacture in this facility. And I knew we needed something when the build and, that, and that's the outdoor center we're talking about. The right. indoor center uh, was, was the anchor of the facility. And that we needed that to compete with the Southern schools. And our goal is here is to win a national championship. And, yeah. We've won nine. We've won nine Big Tens the last ten years, which is an accomplishment for these kids. Um, we've established ourselves um, in this region, and you know, again, we've done everything on the national level except win the national championship. We finished second and third three times, and we've had two individual national champions. So we've been competitive, but everything is this, everything was designed to attract and grow and groom the best players in the world, and and you needed an indoor facility to do it. And the advantage of a coach being here and designing it and building it while he's here is that I can, I could design it and grow it to fit my, my coaching philosophy and the way I want to teach. Uh, a lot of places have great facilities, but they get a new coach to come in here and it doesn't really match the way he believes the game should be taught or the game should be played. And it's never really fits. Well, I was, I was blessed to get here and obviously being an alum and being connected in the Atlanta nation. It was, we raised a lot of money to do this and, and, um, and, you know, we, we have a facility that fits our, our, our MO. And, and that's, what's important about it. And it's just, it's, it's an unbelievable facility right on campus. The kids can walk to it. Um, we can practice and play all year round. Can we can't play, but you can hit balls all year round and train. And when, in conjunction with the traveling that we do and the, and the schedule that we have, uh, there's enough playing going on. Um, but you need places to grow your game and train and learn and study the game. And what a, what a, it's a great place to do that. I, I just watched the video that you shot of this facility and I've never wanted to go spend five hours at a practice facility more in my life. I mean, I literally <laughs> just want to go hit balls till, till my hands bleed, but no, it, it's, it just like you said, it has everything there you could possibly see on a golf course in any condition and you can just replicate it. At least it looks like you can replicate anything you want. So I, I want to jump into something you're mentioning about building the program and, and identifying, you know, kids that are going to be, uh, you know, great players and great collegians. This is a little bit of a, of a stretch, I guess, but I always think back to that movie uh, Hoosiers, you know, Coach Norman Dale trying to, you know, break down the, the, the kids and then build them back up into what he wants the team to look like. What are some of the things that maybe you see out of a, uh, a potential player that you realize that, okay, they have this great talent, but I need to break that part of them down 
and get them built up. What are some of the things that an incoming freshman would come in with that you need that you identify as something that needs to be fixed or shaped to more fit your model of what you see your team looking like? Well, I think from a physical standpoint or fundamental standpoint, you know, I think they're all one dimensional. Not all, but the, the ones that need to work are one dimensional. Okay. Um, they need to grow parts of their game that aren't great. They all, like I said, I want them to have really good parts of their games. At least the players that have turned out to be great here have come in with really one part of the game that's really, really, really good, and then you work on the rest of them. Um, you know, but the little things in golf, we kind of a team a long time ago here coined them. You know, the small things, kind of pun, a, a pun or a trick on words there sure. with my last name. But there's certain things that all great players do that I've learned, and I've played with the best players in the world for 30 years. You know, little things, lag putting and ball flight and and strong siding pins and course management and um, just keeping a rhythm and, you know, controlling your space, the way you breathe, the way you, your posture is, just little things that tie everything together. You know, hitting the golf ball, sitting on the range and hitting a beautiful five iron is 20% of the equation of being a champion. I mean, it's just, it's not, not the biggest, not the, it's not everything. And it's everything about um, that these kids have to learn to be a champion. And a lot of it is, is time management and how to practice and how to, how to correctly evaluate your game. A lot of these kids don't know how to correctly evaluate their game. That's why improvement doesn't come as quick. And once you teach them that and then teach them the correct way to address those, those deficiencies, and then you, you put them in a team atmosphere where accountability is huge, not only to the, to the teammates and the coach, but to the entire program, um, you know, playing for something bigger than themselves. The first time these, these kids learn how valuable it is, is to sacrifice your time, your energy, and your, your commitment to something bigger than yourselves, how rewarding it really is. You know, they haven't had kids and they haven't had a wife yet to love somebody more than themselves. Right. But if you can love, if you can love a process or love a, a commitment or be with, with eight or nine guys who are like you, that you share a common goal together, um, you realize how good you can play and how well it is to focus and how, how easy it is to, to get into that zone. And that's something that I think uh, my good teams have always had. They've had that, that bond, that chemistry, that, um, and that selfishness, um, in the right direction. And that's something I think they get better and it helps them become better people. It comes to be better in business or in life or as, as a husband or a family, it helps them, helps them really, um, grab a hold of what that feeling is like earlier in their life than most kids can have. And I think that's important for a program to have because every aspect of your life gets better. So you work on the physical part, you work on the mental and emotional part like that stuff and you don't settle. You just don't settle for average. You know, mediocrity is not accepted. And you just don't settle for, well, okay, I'm, I'm okay at that. No, if it's not the best, you keep working at it. I think that's a mindset that the teams here over the years have had and that uh, I'm working hard with my young team now to understand that, um, you know, it's not okay just to, to hit it okay. Um, you got to produce that score. you got to produce that result. And if it's not there, you have to address the issues why and not just, not just accept being okay. And, um, you got to set your goals unbelievably high and bust your tail to get there. Sure. I know it's a, I know it's a hard thing to pinpoint for one thing, but if, uh, you know, we have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, a lot of junior players that listen, they're going to be going and playing in college. If they're a junior senior in high school, they're playing on their high school team. Is there one thing that you think they could really spend a little more time on to better their chances of being successful at the college level? And again, I apologize. I know it's a general statement, but one little thing, maybe it is, it is a general statement, but you know, the short games are never where they need to be. I think kids okay. come into college with four or five shots around the green when they need 20 to 30 shots around the green. 
um, you know, the, the, the ability to, to put the ball in the hole. We talk on our team, you know, when you leave the tee box on any hole you play and you hit your drive, every step you take, your confidence should grow the closer you get to the hole. And when you approach the green, your confidence and your, your, your comfort zone and everything should be as high and as calm as can be. And that's just, that's just created through practice and through obviously understanding and learning technique. But, uh, but having, having that insurance policy, we call it, you know, we call it a short game on this team, our insurance policy. I think that's what any person's, or I learned that when I played professional golf all these years is that your short game, if it's not ready to go, if your short game is not the best, it can be your best in the world. Why would you spend the money? Why would you spend the time and energy um, to go travel and play a tournament hoping your ball striking is good enough. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you, you know, your parents wouldn't buy a house without buying, you know, mortgage insurance or home or homeowners insurance when you wouldn't buy a car without having auto insurance because in just in case something goes wrong, well, in golf, your short game is your insurance policy and, and you know, in your full swing, your ball flight, something's going to go wrong more times than not. You better have a short game to set to save it and, that's something that you have to have the mindset for. And I think these kids love to go out and hit golf balls and, and take lessons and maybe play with somebody else's golf swing, not their own. Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of instruction is good, but I think it's the, it's the instructor's golf swing, not the player's golf swing. And then when they get in a tournament, they kind of fall, you know, it takes them a while to own it. And if you have a short game during that, during that time, uh, you can get through college a lot easier. That's great. Well, coach, I do appreciate the time. I know that you got to run, but I wanted to leave you with this one last question. Your teammate, Steve Stricker, your, I'm sorry, your college teammate at Illinois, Steve Stricker, just named obviously Ryder cup captain next year. I thought I'd be real creative and ask you about what it'd be like to kind of be, uh, chosen as a, as a assistant captain on that team. And then there's already an article out that someone at golf channel threw out there just saying, Hey, wouldn't it be good if, uh, Mike Small was selected. I would imagine that if the phone rings, you're picking it up and you'll be there to do whatever he asks. But do you have thoughts on what you can possibly add to a U.S. Ryder Cup team that you're already instilling in your your players at Illinois? I mean, it's a different level. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it's it's college well, yeah. kids. Yeah, it's it's a different dynamic. I mean, you got college kids that you know you're running the show, and you know once every two years the PGA tour stars and their Brinks trucks roll into a Ryder cup site. So I know it's a different dynamic. It's a whole different animal. Yeah, and, I um, but I think being a, a, a college coach, if it was anybody, and I think the, I think the attraction to that idea obviously is because college, college coaching and college golf has, has really made a jump the last few years has really grown. And people see the, the, a lot of more, a lot, a lot of great coaches are in college golf. And then also a lot of the college coaches are PGA members as well. So I think there's a push, you know, just maybe in, to be, to have a PGA of America class, a professional associated somehow with the Ryder cup, because the Ryder cup is, is owned and operated by the PGA of America. Absolutely. It's not a PGA tour. And so I think there's a lot of talk that, and it's flattering to be mentioned in that. And I think, um, would I, would I do something? I, I, I do anything to help the Ryder cup team. I'm going to, I'm a, I would love the American to help the American team and my country. Um, I, I, I'd sew their socks if they wanted me to. I mean, it's just one of the things that I would do, you know, it's just, it's just, I'd, I'd be there for them, but, but I understand it's a different animal and um, those are the best players in the world. They all have their own instructors, their own coaches. So I think the captains and the vice captains of the Ryder cup are more, are more um, valuable in, in understanding the personalities of the players and in, in the pairings and creating a culture and a vibe that is positive and optimistic and relaxed and focused. So the guys can handle the pressure 
and handle the expectation of the Ryder Cup to their ability. Then you let them go play. There's there's no coaching in the Ryder Cup. These guys are the best players in the world. Yeah. But I think the captain and the vice captains need to create, you know, continue to create and try to master the culture and the environment to where these 12 players can get together for one week, um, even though they know each other and they're competitors the 51 other weeks of the year. Now they're our teammates. Um, you create a, com- a, a culture where they can actually come together and play the best golf of their lives under the most intense pressure they'll ever play. And that's, that's something, I mean, I, that college coaches do that to an extent. Uh, we're more involved with our teams, you know, personally, but that's something we try to create and try to get our guys to play the best of their ability and grow that standard and hit that standard as often as we can. And that's what we do as coaches. So I think there is some value there to help a, a, a one week a year team to do that. But sure. Yeah, it's a totally different animal. You're not coaching the same way you would in college, not even close. Yeah, but um, but you are bringing an optimistic, positive vibe and an encouraging um, uh, culture that where these guys can play their best. And you would probably be able to just share a bunch of embarrassing stories from your buddy Steve in his college days to all those players, and maybe that's why they maybe he doesn't want you that close for that reason because he knows he has all, you have all dirt on him. <laughs> we have a lot of stories about each other that we uh, oh, don't want to open up the can of worms because it'll come back on me too. So uh, I've been asked to give some funny stories about Strick back in college or even on the tour in the days. And and there are some. We've had great times together. We're very, very good friends and we support each other. But I'm smart enough to realize that if I tell a story, he's going to tell one. <laughs> that may not be a good idea. That's awesome. Well, uh, I know you got to jump. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, Hopefully we do it again uh, sometime soon. I know there's a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about with, uh, you know, you're playing, you're a you're, 12-time you're Illinois PGA champion, four-time Illinois Open champion. You went back-to-back at the PGA National Professional Championship. So lots to talk about, but I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're getting ready for nationals, so all the best to you, and uh, we'll try and do it again soon. Call me anytime, Ben. Happy to catch up with you. And there you have it. Thanks so much to Coach Mike Small for joining us this week at the back of the range. Best of luck to him and his team as they make their way towards another run at a national championship. Man, next week is the Masters. Cannot wait for that. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we'll see you next week, Masters Week, for Episode 69, here at the back of the range.